I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As an artist of faith, my creativity and spirituality are integral to my identity. But I'm caught between two worlds. Luckily, I found Be Make Do, and I'm ready to be who I was created to be. Be Make Do, the podcast. Listen at soulmakers.org slash be make do. For over 10 years, parents have trusted A2 Platinum Premium Infant Formula to nourish their newborns, and it's now available in the U.S. A2 Platinum is nutritionally complete with essential ingredients like DHA, vitamin E, and prebiotics, and it's certified by the Clean Label Project. Quality and safety are A2 Platinum's top priorities with a flawless track record of zero recalls. Join the millions of parents who choose A2 Platinum. Pick up A2 Platinum Infant Formula at your local Wegmans store or visit a2platinum.com findnow. At that time, Robin Rass was pure hip-hop. The years before, in the beginning of the 80s, we went to uh, New York uh, uh, and we went to a lot of uh, clubs in Harlem. And they, we were the only white people there because uh, we, we got to know uh, Ice-T and Just Ice and, and uh, they respected us a little like DJs. So we, we could get a lot, lot of influence from uh, the American hip-hop style. She was very good at uh, when she was on stage, even when we did tours in Sweden, uh, uh, she really delivered. But uh, suddenly she didn't uh, show up and uh, suddenly she was in her own world, so to speak. I was feeling something was not going to do right. So I said, no, stop the press. <laughs> Let's do the backdrop like Leila Kay there and Robin Rast there. So if something happens, we could just take the scissors and keep the Robin Rast backdrop. And that's actually what, what happened. You're listening to Pop, The History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. You were a big part of my early days on MTV because of 
your music and your music was featured and also going to Stockholm. So this is a great pleasure for me. But I want to really go back and start at the beginning. And if you can tell me a little bit about your upbringing and what sort of music your parents listened to and when your taste started to, to diverge from theirs. Yeah, actually, my father never listened to any kind of popular music, only classical music. Uh, except for one artist, and that was because a, ta- a cassette tape was stuck in a bar, uh, a car he bought, and it was John Denver. <clears throat> uh, and uh, so, and then he started listening to John Denver, and each summer it was a cab, you know, so we went listening to John Denver. And the first time he, he because he collected music boxes, uh, he had the biggest uh, music box collection uh, in uh, Europe and a museum. So he was in a television show once and uh, uh, Phil Collins uh, here in Stockholm, Phil Collins were there too. And uh, Phil Collins were warming up and my father said to him, I like you, you can be something in the future. You sound just like my fa- favorite John Denver. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's brilliant. But, but my mod, mother was a dancer in uh, cabarets and stuff like that. Uh, so she was more into uh, a little jazz and stuff like that. So, the, uh, but otherwise, it actually it was more classical music in my home. So, what was the sort of first record that you you brought home that you bought? Uh, first of all, the. It was, I mean, it was expensive to buy a record, but I remember I wanted to be a DJ early. So I had my first DJ gig when I was 11 at the local school. And then I actually got a job every Thursday at the disco for young people. So about 12, I was quite a popular DJ in my town. and. Uh, but one of the first uh, records was um, uh, Automatic. Uh, what was the groom's name? Uh, Feel me, hear me. Da, da, da. Automatic Lover. Cliff Richard, We Don't Talk Anymore was a. Uh, I just got uh, hooked by that song. So th- that's two of the ones I remember. Your mother sounds like she was sort of in a. In a a cultural sort of scene in a way, by the way you describe her. Were you around people who were doing things culturally as a, as a young child? Yeah, a, a little by that, but uh, she uh, at that time she had quit uh, doing that. She was home with us, but she they, they also had an understanding for us uh, developing our music skills. And, and uh, uh, so I went to take piano lessons and uh, drum, playing drums. And I was forced by my mother to play the piano. I was crying, you know, when when I was eight years old and went there because I want to play the drums, you know. <laughs> uh, but she let me play the drums. Uh, and uh, then we uh, moved to a bigger house when I was like uh, 10 years old. And uh, then me and my brothers had a music room and uh, it was uh, sound uh, proof from the rest of... <laughs> The, the house so we and we had some means so I got my drums and there was a piano and my brother played the guitar so they really uh, enthusiast the music uh, from the beginning so they were very encouraging that, 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 yeah. that they really yeah, yeah. wanted you to be involved 
in music. What was Swedish music at the time of your upbringing? Uh, 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 at the time also, if we go back when I was uh, 13, 14 and 15, uh, they were encouraging the DJing too, you know. But uh, at that point, I got uh, uh, a job Wednesday, Friday, Saturday at a club that had 18 years age because they had the right to serve alcohol and I was 15. And at that time I went to school and my, uh, my father said, uh, you can't work nights and go to school at the same time. And I said, uh, yes, I can. And I show him my grades and I say, I have the best grades in all uh, uh, in the whole school. But uh, so promise if I can keep DJing at nights and keep my grades, uh, the, uh, if I don't do it, then you can tell me to stop. And he said, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. What, what sort of music did you orient towards? I, I'm, I'm almost, the, the thing is I was playing in rock bands, symphonic rock, and I like uh, uh, Saga and uh, Rush and stuff like that when we were playing in the band. But I also, my heart was divided. So I also had this thing for dance music and a lot of DJs in Sweden played a lot of rock and I, I, I was trying to play more soul, uh, funk, uh, old James Brown and more rhythmical music. So I was looking at, uh, uh, even at an early age, at uh, the uh, R&B stuff and soul funk that came from the United States, uh, uh, like Sap, uh, Roger Troutman and uh, stuff like that. And so I had to mix it in a little in the in the sets and start mi uh, mission my uh, work you know like a missionary the, yeah i play some rock songs here but you have to listen to this too and uh, a lot of uh, people start enjoying it because at that time in the beginning we didn't have so any radio to speak of you know and television two channels before mtv came so you have to buy the vinyls and and just play it in the clubs. What year was this? What sort of years? Was this the early 80s? Um, yeah, uh, 80, 82, 83. Because in, it was in the 80s that Sweden, Sweden was changing quite dramatically. I mean, you had like um, the diversification of the culture in Sweden because of people coming from different countries, which happened, you know, in, in the 60s and 70s and Sweden was changing. Um, and you also had uh, a change in a big change in in the music scene. How aware were you that there was something there, sort of bubbling under and coming up? Uh, yeah, it's true uh, that what you say. We had a lot of influences from whole, the whole world, and and then we also had the Swedish folk music, like and ABBA and stuff like that. That to look back. But at that time, ABBA was, everybody hated ABBA in Sweden uh, because uh, I don't know why, but, but then it changed. And then also we had in Sweden uh, music classes in school. And we also had one thing that was very special that uh, uh, you could apply if you were a band and you rented a, a, a place to rehearse or something, you can apply for some money from the government to make rehearsals and stuff like that so and buy instruments so a lot of bands started like that 
I was in a band uh, and we shared the same place to rehearse uh, with the Europe when I was in a rock band and we were the better band uh, than Europe, but they had this great looking uh, singer and we didn't have a good singer. So, I mean, we went like this and they went like this. <laughs> when did you meet Robert? Uh, we knew each other uh, as DJs because we played in these uh, clubs that started to getting dance music oriented, that we went funk. And then I uh, worked at a record store, which uh, uh, called uh, Vinyl Mania in Stockholm. And every DJ in uh, Sweden went there to buy the records. And he was uh, in there. And uh, then he participated in the Swedish DJ mixing championships at 87. And I was in the jury and uh, he didn't do so well uh, there. Uh, but then we start giving each other some gigs, you know, uh, can you take uh, this club and I take that one. Uh, and he said he's going to participate 88 in the uh, DJ mixing championships. And he did and he won uh, in Sweden and he went to Royal Albert Hall, you know, to the DMC uh, competition. And uh, at that time we start talk talking um, about doing something together. And I won the same thing, Swedish uh, championships, 89, and went to uh, London uh, Royal Albert Hall and the DMC championships. And between 88 and 89, we start forming the the concept of Robin Rass. What connected you, do you think? What What sort of music were you both into? And what did you feel really connected you? Was it Was it actually a specific type of music that you that you wanted to make together or was it just the idea of let's let's work together and try and be successful what was the goal uh, well yeah everything just uh, kind of got together in uh, in some coincidences because we played a lot of funk soul and also dance music and we had this uh, uh, british the bomb the bass and stuff like that a lot of djs start doing uh, uh, music with samples and stuff like that. And uh, at the record store that I worked, uh, a guy comes in and leave a note. I was at lunch and he said, uh, I want uh, a DJ or some DJs to start producing music because that's what they do in England. And that guy was uh, Klaus Lunding and he had just started Telegram Records and signed the TTU Papadi Space Lab, Jon Rekdal. And uh, so the, the other guy in the record, so maybe this is something for you and Rob. And uh, so I called the Klaus Lunding and say, let's have a meeting and uh, see what we can do. And he had just started up. And uh, so we went to his very small apartment in Stockholm. It's a one room apartment. And we said, yeah, we can do this. Uh, and he, he said, yeah, maybe you can do a song with Papa D. And we said, yes, of course, uh, uh, where's the studio? And I said, yeah, I, I, I don't have a, a studio. Okay, so where's, uh, can you book a studio? No, I don't have any money. So how, how do we do this? <laughs> well, you have to fix it on your own. And because we were very talented at the DJ thing with scratching and stuff like that, uh, people will start calling us to uh, apply uh, scratches and stuff on remixes and production. And we said, yes, we can do that. Uh, how much money do we want? And we said, no, we want studio time. 
and that's how we got to get studio time and start working together. I think this was in 88, wasn't it? It was actually before yeah. you were at the DMC. Can you yeah. tell me, because um, I watched that this morning, can you tell me about your set and what you actually played? Because it's even today to look at that, to see you do that, it's, it's an, uh, an amazing achievement and, and it's, it's really incredible. So can you tell me a little bit about that um, performance, as it were? Yeah, the thing was that you had seven minutes, you, you know, and you had to the skills st started just a few years ago to really get very uh, in the whole world. I mean, it's everybody was improving their skills. So before uh, uh, doing this competition, it was like a boxer going to world championships. I trained like eight hours every day and uh, also tried to find the music uh, that was... Um, with the good sounds of making cuts and stuff like that, but also interesting from uh, the beginning to seven minutes. Uh, so, um, uh, and, and uh, we tried to develop some new techniques and skills. Uh, and we had also um, actually 88 when uh, Rob participated, he, he ended his uh, thing. Uh, with uh, playing on an old uh, Deep Purple record, uh, Smoke on the Water, and then had another Def Jam record and played the melody. And that was the thing I had uh, in my program the year before. And people were writing all this hip hop magazine, ah, that's a new technique from Sweden, you can play tones and stuff like that. I mean, a, f uh, a few years before, I think it was in 85, that the sort of the basis of Sweemix yeah. uh, came about when um, Sten Halstrom had talked about that the American and British remix scene was shit and mm. that, um, or sucked, he actually said, and that people needed uh, hot remixes of individual tracks rather than a medley of hits. How aware were you of what was going on there and this sort of, this sort of movement that was also, it's in parallel to yours in a sense, this sort of movement how aware were you that there were really things like a like a scene bubbling in in sweden yeah i, I mean it's very uh, sweden is very small and uh, we and swimix worked together and we were uh, um, competitors so uh, uh, dr alban for instance he lived i was friends with him uh, like when he was a dentist and we we uh, he had clubs and stuff like that and i rented out equipment to him and uh, swimix also went to this record store vinyl mania and uh, some of them like dennis pop and me uh, we changed dj gigs uh, i i put him on dj sets in my clubs and the same so we knew each other and then they start most doing remixes and we did remixes also, but we wanted to do our original music. And then, so we were like uh, competitive friends. And, and then in this uh, store, Vinyl Mania, uh, they had an office and only Robin Rass and Swimix could go into the office because they have some special records there. And they had this whiteboard so me and Rob went to buy records and then we uh, did funny pictures like Sweemix 
they were begging for food and Robin Rast, they were swimming in dollars and made success and everything. And then when we come back, Swimix had done the same thing with us, but it was uh, comp competition with heart. So we, uh, so we knew each other very well and went to a, each other's club. And actually when we started program our first songs, uh, we landed their stu studio for free. And, uh, and we also helped them with some stuff. So we, we were very close before that. Because I remember that the ID magazine, they had a cover, didn't they? In, in, I think it was in 87, which was about Nordic Beat. And I think Camilla was on the cover, actually, La Camilla. And yeah. it was uh, talking about um, Sweemix at that time. But Telegram was sort of like the last key in the, in, in the puzzle sort of thing. Yeah. It was the last piece of the puzzle for that to come together. Um, you said at the start you worked uh, with Papa D in, in, in the studio and you made two tracks with him. Um, yeah. Can you tell me what you made and what the influence of, in that music was? Yeah, we had just started out. And at that time, Robin Rass was pure hip hop. And hip hop was, uh, we, we, the years before, in the beginning of the 80s, we went to uh, New York uh, uh, and we went to a lot of clubs in Harlem and they, we were the only white people there because uh, we, we got to know uh, Ice-T and Just Ice and, and they respected us a little like DJs. So we, we could get a lot, lot of influence from uh, the American hip hop style. So, so we wanted to do something downbeat uh, and, and uh, sort of, uh, so when we started pr producing the beats, we wanted it to be heavy and hip hop uh, style, uh, even though we went to the club and played house in the evening. Uh, that's what we th uh, thought that we was, got, Robin Rass was going to be a hip hop band. The, what, the album, the Eric B and Rakim album, how yeah. much of that of, of an influence was that on you? Because many uh, artists cite that album as being really sort of, fu of fundamental importance to their development. How yeah, important I mean, was it to you? Just you name it, I get the goosebumps because it was very important. First of all, the beats and the productions and also uh, the way he rapped and everything. We were like stunned. And uh, th that was... Uh, uh, like a eye opener for us, so I mean uh, it's it's still great. So how did it make you change? What did you change in what you were doing, and 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 develop from that from Palin Four? Yeah, they, uh, we had this uh, studio that we could lend if we scratch at the productions and stuff, and and, and we. Uh, we programmed our beats a little, but I had this idea to make an up-tempo song uh, with, uh, and I had this melody. And actually, uh, I never told anyone this, but uh, it's, it's, uh, since it's not a theft, the inspiration from that, I thought, uh, because at that time I was a lot into Minneapolis and- uh, It's Nasty uh, Girl from Prince, is it? It's Prince's- uh, No, more- uh, more Sheila E, uh, uh, A Love Bizarre. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, because I could play that in, it was that tempo. And I, also the, she had the melody. 
I thought that that's so brilliant to make. A, so so we went into the studio and we worked with two engineers, uh, and uh, we had this, the beats programmed. And uh, I said the melody is going to be like this, and I played it on an organ. And these uh, engineers, they are very famous now in uh, as producer, but and they have been to the st states and they listen to it and say, "Is that so? Is that so cool? Really? Couldn't you make it more? No, no, it should be like this." And I was like, "Let's do this. Let's do this. Uh, it's going to be be great when we take in the live brass and everything." And they were like shaking their heads, uh, but and then. Uh, me and Rob was at the first maybe because we uh, didn't know Leila at that time uh, and it, we were about to make a third thing with Papa D. And uh, Rob, I mean, we had fights over this every day because he, he thought the, the song was too corny and we should be hardcore hip hop, you know. And I said, but, but I mean, let's, it's gonna, let's do it. It's, it's just for fun, and, but maybe if we find a girl to do it, it will, I mean, take off the hip hop thing. It's gonna be more poppy and stuff like that. So where did you find Layla? Well, we have two versions. The, 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 the official version in the beginning, the first 20 years uh, is uh, semi-true. And because she participated in a rap contest and we were in the jury. And uh, she came second and uh, we signed her because we thought that was uh, a great story. But actually a, a guy rapper from, uh, a male rapper from Gothenburg had sent me this tape with three songs before that. And at uh, just in a bridge, like uh, 15 seconds, uh, Leila appears and doing something. So I, I had already heard her before this. Uh, and so I had her in my mind. And uh, when she went to this rap comp competition, I, we could also see her. So then we thought, yes, uh, let's try her. How old was Leila Kay at that time? 17, I think. What, 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 a, what appealed to you, not just about her rapping and her voice but what else appealed to you that made you think this could be you know successful with Leila Kay? Uh, actually um, the things the things really happened very fast because we saw her did a, she performed and she had some charisma at stage and she looked uh, really good to do something pop stuff like that so that and i had heard her voice but we didn't know anything about her uh, except from that so uh, uh, because in that time nobody even the small record companies had no money producers djs had no money uh, we we tried to get extra dj sets to pay for studios and so studio time was the uh, the key, you know, it was so expensive to rent a studio. So uh, we called her, uh, she was living in Gothenburg and, and uh, we said, we have this song, can you, uh, we buy you some uh, train tickets and we try, try out in the studio. And uh, we just picked her up at the station. I say, hi, I, uh, I'm Ras, this is Rob, get in, get on the mic. 
And this, and we even had, had to find a, a friend to, we had written some lyrics, uh, but another friend, uh, MC2 Fresh, to write, he had a lunch break, break from his job. Uh, so he, he wrote the rest of the rhymes. So we, we didn't, we, we didn't have time to, you know, small chat or anything like that. Was she, was she confident then? Because when you recorded Got To Get, she she was very young. I think she was seventeen, and so yeah. and she's come from uh, Gothenburg to Stockholm. Um, and I know today seventeen seems sort of uh, a little bit older than it was probably back then. I don't know. I feel like seventeen back then was younger. But um, was she as uh, as confident and tough, or was or was this sort of a, a shy, different type of girl at the beginning? Uh, she didn't say anything. And we only discussed the timing of the rhymes and stuff like that. And uh, we did actually, of course, uh, from the beginning, uh, the song was called On and On. And uh, uh, the chorus was not got to get. And, and uh, the verses were good and she went back to uh, Gothenburg. But this chorus with on and on and on, on, on and on, like it, and it was... Uh, no, it, it won't do it. So then we took another uh, train ticket a week later and uh, we recorded this Got to Get. But still uh, the same thing that we, uh, we, we never talked or went out for a dinner. Or we just focused on, on the studio hour. So we, and she was, uh, she was working hard in the studio and that, that's all. Now you said that the success came very quickly. Can you tell me about how that process was and how quick it was? Yeah, first of all, uh, nobody in Sweden had uh, had any success abroad with dance music, so or rap. Uh, I mean, we had uh, ABBA, of course, and uh, some other things, and also Roxette was doing great with the pop thing in in United States, but. Um, uh, so no, nobody really thought it, it was possible, but but, but we were, uh, since we had DJ, DJ that made these things in London and uh, we were aiming at the world and we, were, we, we really wanted to do something in, international. And uh, when, when we started, the song came together, uh, the record company and the publisher, they, they thought, I mean, this is going to be a hit. Uh, it's, it's great. And I, I was like, uh, I, not so sure because uh, nobody has ever done it. So we always were very self-critic. Uh, I mean, as Robin Rass's team, we had unreleased a thousand songs because may, we, we don't think it's good. And they say, yeah, yeah. But, so, and we send it around and, um, and then uh, we mixed it. And um, that, that's, uh, and, and we sent it to a record company and that's where it started. Was there any, you know, was there any sort of special marketing method of promoting it in Britain? Because a lot of artists outside of Britain, and I've, you know, I saw that with, with people like Snap, would have like a fictional studio in Brixton <laughs> where the record was made to sort of suggest it was connected to Britain. But what, were there any special sort of marketing tricks around, around the song at that time? Or was it, you know, purely the truth and it went by itself? 
Yeah, uh, first, uh, first of all, how we came to uh, get signed by Arista at that time. It, it's uh, the worst uh, coincidence story ever. It was like this. Another guy uh, in Sweden called Jeppe Eakholm. He was with Simia Hamilton in this uh, house group, Clubland. They had some, <clears throat> some uh, popular song, dance songs. And his um, interest was like, and the side business was exporting a 12-inch record to the UK, uh, to uh, DJ stores and stuff like that in London. So he, he took some Swedish 12-inch uh, uh, from Swimix and from us, and he exported like 10 copies there and 15 of this, very small scale. So, uh, and one uh, record, uh, so, so we didn't have a, a contract then uh, abroad uh, 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 or in, just in Sweden. And um, so a DJ picked pick this uh, record up, he listens to it, and uh, he works in a pub in London. Uh, and uh, at the evening, he, he plays the record. And in that pub, in the same building, uh, uh, I think Gary Davis, the radio DJ, he lived in 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 that. Uh, so he went near after work, you know, for a pint, and he heard this song that uh, he haven't heard before, and he was like into everything. So he goes to the DJ and say, "What what is this? I don't know. It says Stockholm on it. Can I borrow the record? I want to play it in my morning show." And then uh, he took the record, and uh, in the morning show, he said, "Yeah, something new from Sweden. You haven't heard this one before. I, I want to be the first. And he plays it. And in, in the car, listening to his morning show, there is this guy uh, that have a friend uh, working at Arista Records called Chris Cook, who is an A&R. So he calls this guy and says, you got to listen to this re uh, the morning show. And he comes in at the uh, half, I mean, 30 seconds left of the song. And... Uh, and uh, then he started to, yeah, it sounds good. I'm, I'm going to find this. And then he started uh, investigating in Sweden, who is Robin Rass and who is Leila Kay and what, what is the record company. And that's how we got signed to Arista UK at first. I know fitness is important, but I don't have time to keep up with all the fads and celebrity workouts that come and go. I need something backed by real science that will get real results and fits into my schedule. Caliber has been a lifesaver. It's a science-based fitness coaching program covering strength, nutrition, and healthy habits, completely customized to my needs and abilities. All I did was fill out their online assessment, and Caliber did the rest. The best part is, I'm not in it alone. Caliber paired me with an expert personal trainer who checks on my progress and keeps me motivated and on track. And I'm not the only one getting results. Caliber is top-rated on Trustpilot with 4.9 out of 5 stars. On average, members achieve a 20% or better improvement in their body composition by week 12 of the program. Start a science-based fitness program you'll actually stick with. Get $100 off at CaliberStrong.com slash podcast. That's CaliberStrong.com slash podcast. We made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply. 
As an artist of faith, my creativity and spirituality are integral to my identity. But I'm caught between two worlds. Luckily, I found Be Make Do, and I'm ready to be who I was created to be. Be Make Do, the podcast. Listen at soulmakers.org slash be make do. You're listening to Pop, The History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. So then it was released in the UK. And yeah. uh, very shortly afterwards, I presume, then you were suddenly on Top of the Pops. How did you hear about the Top of the Pops uh, performance that you were going to have to do? And how did you prepare for it? What did you, what did you want it to be? What did you want to express? Well, uh, at first of all, the Top of the Pops... Uh, I knew it from uh, uh, my very young childhood because uh, once a month, uh, my mother said, let's go to, to the record store and you can buy a record, me and my brother. And they had this collection and it was Top of the Pops, an album. And I think it was covers from great songs, but it was very good looking girls on the, on the cover. And we didn't know what songs it was. So me and my brother was just arguing about the, the, who, who is the cutest girl and fighting over that. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so and at the end, we uh, take turns of choosing. So that, that's how I got the new Top of the Pops. I didn't know it was a TV show or something like that. But uh, of course, I got to know it um, later. But we had a very good... Um, uh, collaboration with Arista UK because we were like uh, saying you know this market and uh, we know it a little but uh, take uh, you make the decisions you know uh, how we gonna how you think we're gonna look and stuff like that we, we don't care do your best so we were not like artists yeah this is my style and my you know, we said, take care of it. And we ended up, you know, in changing, go to uh, this. I was so tired of visiting uh, stores with uh, designers and clothes and try things with a stylist and stuff like that. So uh, pretty much we, we let uh, the record company arrange it because they, and they, they did a good job with it. Yeah, the performance is also very frenetic. I mean, it's so energy packed. Yeah. And of course, Leila Kay is uh, a sort of firebomb, isn't she? I mean, in, in more ways than one, really. Uh, how the process of working with Leila changed over time? Everything went so fast. And, uh, but when we were sitting in, you know, cars or trains or airplanes, we, we start talking with her and Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, 
like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. She was very good at uh, when she was on stage, even when we did tours in Sweden. Uh, uh, she really delivered. But uh, suddenly she didn't uh, show up and... Uh, suddenly she was in her own world, so to speak. So we had to, um, you know, make arrangements that uh, she was in time and stuff like that with other people. And almost like in the end, private investigators look, where is she now in Stockholm? And, you know, (laughs) and uh, at that time, me and Rob was also very young. And, but we had the, we had been DJing and doing this stuff and working nights. So, but uh, he was new to it. So I understand afterwards that it must have been a little shock for just from being nothing to a great star. <clears throat> but we didn't think about that when we were young because we just want look. We want uh, forward, forward. We want to be number one. We want to be in the states and all the rest of the Europe. And uh, so at first she went, just kind of went along, uh, but small problems start to, started to appear. Yeah, I mean, she did have a, a completely wild reputation at one point. I mean, she was a lovely person. I, I actually really liked her. And I remember having a party at the Burns Hotel in my room and Layla was there and they rang up from reception and said, get that effing woman out of your room. I didn't know why. And then later I found out what she'd done the week before and maybe it's best left to the imagination in the hotel. And it shocked the guy so much that he wouldn't allow her back in. But I sort of, I I, I really liked her because she had a, an amazing energy and she had um, an amazing character. But I just think that maybe fame was too much for her to deal with. Yeah. Um, what... What was the process with Layla? Because at one point you couldn't work with her anymore. That was that was clear that probably, you know, that no one could work with her anymore. Um, and that process was clear. So so how how did you have to change to develop without Layla? And maybe you can tell me if you know whatever happened to her and where she is today. Yeah, we we um we started to notice as you know things uh, because we, we were very professional me and Rob I mean we, we went out in the clubs at night and stuff but since being DJs you, you can't miss a gig and you can't miss a time you know and uh, the worst thing happened uh, in Brixton in London uh, where just when we got signed and we started to you know get a bus in London and some uh, I think some people from the German record companies uh, and even from the States went to see us in Brixton. It was uh, uh, Soul to Souls Club, the Fridge, I think it was called. And uh, it and a lot of uh, journalists and stuff like that. And uh, so we we was gonna do one song and but me and Rob started with this uh, performance about two or three minutes with scratching and stuff because, we, we were known since we've been on the BBC and Royal Albert Hall in London and uh, recently. So 
So we did, did this short DJ show and then uh, got to get started. Uh, and it was always, uh, it was never sing back, always playback. Uh, so because she had some trouble with the lyrics sometimes. And, the, and then she was supposed to come out and the song started and she didn't turn up on stage at the, in the intro. And I, I, I was, I remember people were screaming. I was thinking it was one second was like one year in my mind. I think, okay, let her come into the uh, uh, first verse. No, she didn't appear. Okay, if she comes into the chorus, it could be a cool thing that afterwards to show it was playback. She didn't appear. And then the second verse, and then people start looking around and uh, she comes in in the last bridge and do the uh, last chorus and went out. And there was a Swedish journalist there and everybody talked about what happened and why. And that's a lot of theories, but... Uh, uh, and then we, we did a lot of uh, touring after we uh, got big in, uh, in the States also. I remember one month we had um, 36 flights in one month and then it was like uh, New York and then back to the top of the pops England and then uh, Philadelphia and then Paris to do a TV show. So we were just uh, and I think she, she got kind of drained by that. And um, but the ultimate uh, thing was that we did 1990 the first uh, folk park tour. We have this thing in Sweden that uh, people, big uh, folk parks. And it was, uh, I mean, they, they, uh, you, they uh, have like 20,000 or 10,000 people. Or, and we did the first, uh, we were the first to do a, a show with dance music. And it was uh, very popular and very appreciated. And, uh, in the middle of that uh, tour, we had a two-week break, and everybody in the tour bus uh, were talking. Oh, so, so what are you gonna do? Yeah, I'm gonna go to my countryside with my family, and you? Yeah, I'm gonna go to Copenhagen to sail a boat. And and Leila was quiet. And somebody asked her, "What are you? What are you gonna do?" And she didn't have a plan, and she just said, "I want to go to Ibiza," and I was like. Oh no, that's not good. <laughs> so uh, I uh, I tried to talk talk her out of it, and uh, she said uh, to the tour company that uh, if I don't, if you don't get the tickets to Ibiza, I won't do the rest of the tour. And that's when she learned how to uh, sort of uh, use this uh, "if you don't, I won't" theory. And I said to the tour company, don't send her there. And they said, we have no choice. And uh, yeah, okay, pick her up at the airport uh, when she comes back to Sweden three days before the uh, continuing of the tour. And uh, they went out to Arlanda in Stockholm and no Leila appears. And I said, you go to Ibiza uh, and get her. And one guy from the tour went there and he, he just got a smack on his, like this, leave me alone. <laughs> and then me and Rob got sued because we uh, arranged the tour and uh, for a, a lot of money because uh, we had the contracts with these folk parks. And How much we, money was 
uh, at that time it was uh, like three or four hundred thousand crowns, which was very much at that time. And we hadn't started getting any royalties whatsoever, so we had to uh, do a lot of gigs for free. And we took in Dayin and Papadi and some other artists and said, okay, let's do this show anyway. But it was not the same because we had the big hits with Leila. So that's when uh, we, the, we kind of broke up and we said we cannot uh, uh, work with her because we wanted uh, we wanted to do so many things. And even when we start working with her, we wanted to do with the singing vocalists and stuff like that. That was the idea of Robin Rass. And now when you have other concept groups like Swedish House Mafia or whatever, it, it's not uh, a strange thing for people. But at that time, the, the journalists, uh, at least in Sweden, uh, they, and uh, record, they really don't understand what we wanted to do. So actually in this tour, when she left, if it, it's uh, you can find it on uh, YouTube. Uh, I, I start feeling like it's gonna be some problems. So, uh, before the tour, we we're going to print this very big backdrop, and that was at that time it was so expensive to do a backdrop with the picture, and it was only one place in uh, whole Scandinavia that could do it, and it costed like hundred thousand crowns, and we should have the album cover, uh, Robin Rass featuring Leila K album cover, and I was, uh, I was sending uh, the, the picture, and I was lying one night and said. Maybe Leila's gonna, I was feeling something was not gonna do right. So I said, no, stop the press. We, we, let's do the backdrop like Leila K there and Robin Rast there. So if something happens, we could just take the scissors and keep the Robin Rast backdrop. And that's actually what, what happened. <laughs> when was the last time you saw her then? Then, uh, uh, Everybody was asking stuff and we were doing our own things. We found Lutricia and David and stuff like that. And people were asking, are you going to do something, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, she, she wrote, she, when she was in prison sometime, uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago, 10, she wrote me a letter and stuff like that. And um, I think Rob met her on, because she was homeless for a while and uh, uh, she, yeah, you could see her in uh, like on a train station or something. But in uh, 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 2016 or 2017, <clears throat> we have this uh, mutual friend uh, called Vito Ingrosso, uh, which is the father of Ingrosso in um, Swedish House Mafia. And we, he was our dancer and at the, in the 80s. So we knew each other and he had some contact with Leila. And he said, uh, Leila wants to do a thing uh, here in Sweden. It's, uh, it's not public. And uh, can you do a uh, get to get with her? And I said, yeah, of course we do it. So we went uh, to this small place and we did it. And people were like, what, the, what is this? And Leila on stage. And we did the two songs or something. And uh, it went kind of, she almost didn't appear on stage and it was like normal. 
But then Vito started talking to her and I said, uh, and also I talked to her and I said, uh, we, if you want, we can do a setup. We can try to make a tour, but we have some, uh, some uh, demands. Uh, because uh, I mean that is we will always have a doctor with us because we don't want to be responsible for I mean if she she's not fit for it or up for it and and then maybe the tour company could get you an apartment and uh, maybe if you want to study something like that we can fix that and if you want to get your life together we can try but we so, uh, but, so we booked actually four or five gigs in uh, Finland because we didn't want any Swedish press uh, uh, because it would be crazy. So, and the, the big festivals. And we went there and, and did, uh, I think it was five gigs. We did four of them uh, and it went well. But then uh, and I, was, I said to Vito, you must be at, at least five meters from Leila during this whole pro process and don't leave her. But then Vito went, went on vacation before the last gig and Leila was living in a hotel and then she just disappeared. And that was the last time you saw her? Yeah. Oh, it's a terrible and story. I want to go back a bit because you mentioned the coincidences about Got to Get going getting on the radio in London and how that worked. But the American... <laughs> Uh, connection was even weirder with Clive Davis. That that uh, how he got to hear of the record, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just uh, I don't know how it came to happen. But he was at Arista, uh, United States, uh, and the guy, the the big boss was uh, Roger Watson, I think, in in UK. Uh, but I don't know how he got to hear. But when I heard it, it was Clive Davis actually. We didn't know who he was. So uh, I reckon, yeah, but do you realize that it's Clive Davis? Yeah, Clive, anyway, anyway, I said, uh, just another record boss. So I hadn't done my homework uh, quite so well. But he went to Sweden and uh, the guys from the record company, when we, when we met Clive first, and uh, Roger Watson were there. And, uh, and they, the first time I've seen they, they were nervous. And uh, every record company guy and publisher, they were like shaking. And I was like, is it some kind of ghost we're gonna meet? Uh, because I didn't realize. And uh, we first start to meet and then we talked to him. And he was, after five minutes talking to him, he was like, you know, the, I had the feeling of this great, the granddaddy that you want to go fishing with. He was so nice and uh, he just made you feel comfortable. And uh, we were like, this is, I've known you for years feeling, you know, but the record company guys, they were like very stressed. So after Layla, you, you moved on and you worked with Deflex or David and Lutricia uh, yeah. McNeil. Um, and uh, created, uh, in essence, um, a, a sort of different different sound. What yeah. were you aiming for at that time? What was your goal? Yeah, as uh, uh, Deflex uh, was actually in one song with uh, 
on the first Layla album. And we got to know because he worked with Dennis Pop uh, before and it didn't have any success, but we, we got to know each other really well. So we became very close friends and still are today. And uh, so we said, I mean, he was not the best rapper at that time, but uh, we were so good friends with him and he was so nice to be around. So he said, let's do something with him, but we need like a, a American gospel type singer because we wanted this powerful, uh, we want to work with rap and singing vocals and write melodies and stuff for singers. And then we found a Lutrician. So we formed this uh, DLC, uh, David Lutetia combination. And uh, Lutetia was living in Stockholm at that time. She's from Oklahoma from beginning. And uh, she, um, she was actually here doing a safe sex tour. Uh, and he met the Swedish guy and she got pregnant. So she stayed in Sweden. <laughs> she got pregnant on a safe sex tour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, that's a better story than Jesus and Mary, I think. Uh, <laughs> um, how was it for you to have international success at that time in Sweden? Um, because it must have made you the focus of everything that was going on. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was like uh, when we woke up uh, late afternoon, I, I bought the newspaper to see what did we do yesterday. You know, it was always small notice and stuff like that. But the good thing for me and Rob was that we had been DJing for so long. So we were not feeling like, ah, now I'm a star and I can behave like uh, I want. And we, it, it, was, it wasn't, we, we always, the thing we liked was to have close contact to every, we did interviews for small radio stations. I've just come in back from Top of the Pops that had, I mean, 10 listeners. So we, uh, we said, uh, and school magazines, uh, one day it was The Sun and the next it was a school magazine. Uh, so we, we tried to keep our feet on the ground. And, and so, so we, we would just have, it was great for us. We had a good time. I mean, with club hopping, you continued your success yeah. in, in Sweden. Um, and um, I think you, you had one of your biggest hits because of uh, that album in Sweden. What It also, Club Hopping was also a, a, the name of the TV show on ZTV yeah. um, that you hosted. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how it was to host the TV show? It was great, but uh, we uh, three days before the actual channel started, they, uh, this guy calls me, I don't know him because I've done radio before in Sweden. And I said, yeah, uh, yeah, can you do this show? And I said, I said yes. We said yeah, always yes. And uh, uh, so we started with it and it became very popular. And at first it was only set TV and we were like hosting it. But uh, soon uh, uh, they said, yeah, maybe we should do a, you, your own show more musically and you can interview other, play videos and stuff like that. Yeah. And then we have started uh, written uh, club hopping uh, in the studio. And I didn't uh, say that to the TV show. Uh, I said, yeah. And then we, since we're going to talk about clubs uh, and artists, let's call the show club hopping. And they said, yeah, that's a great name. Yeah, we can do the vignette, you know, the intro 
and the song was almost done. So and we did a mix on it and said, listen to this intro. Yeah, it's perfect for the show. So then we uh, market the, the, the hook club hopping and the name before they even knew that it was going to be our next record. But uh, they, I mean, they didn't mind because it, they all pulled each other, so to speak. The late 80s and the 90s were like a golden era for, for um, Sweden in culturally. There was so much going on and it's sort of all, all built from that era. And so many people have come out of that era. Um, how much do you think um, your and uh, Robin Raz's, let's say, importance is in actually that whole scene and about bringing people, you know, forward because of your international success, um, because of what you you achieved in Sweden as well. How how big is that importance of Robin Raz in? The, the late 80s and through the 90s in terms of other people and their, their, what they could achieve because of what you achieved? Yeah, well, the first thing should be that since we had the first international dance music hits, it was proof that everybody can do it if you do something good because people doubted, no, we, we're just from small Sweden, we, we cannot. And we were, yes, we can, you know. And uh, so people got inspired by that. And also because the music scene was so small, I knew everybody that's soon gonna be work with music and we have met in clubs and we were like uh, friends. And so we could always uh, give it, it each other uh, and I, we could give them advice and stuff like that. And um, so, so um, but I think the main thing was to uh, see, that it, it is possible because a lot of Swedish people, even the record companies before, they, they didn't think it was possible. I mean, often in, in music and also in my business, you know, once, once I left MTV, you know, the spotlight had moved and, you know, then I wasn't known and uh, life changes and you develop in a different way. Um, although you were still in the, in, in the industry, the spotlight had focused on other people. How was that period for you to deal with? Um, I mean, we, then we, we always released some, uh, we had a great success even abroad with the DLC and nutrition in Holland and Germany and stuff like that. And then we came into maybe the year 2000, we, uh, we had kids uh, and we said, let's, uh, we, we always had this studio and we started, uh, our first uh, rec uh, publishing company and uh, production company in 1992. And instead of uh, buying uh, cars or watches for the money, we invested in the studio. So we said, let's, uh, let's find other talents in Sweden and maybe write for them and stuff like that. So, uh, and also with the Lutricia and David, let, let's bring, in, bring them in the Robin Ras concept and then make them solo artists. So we, uh, we had this, at the time, very great studio and uh, uh, we listened to demos and we met people in clubs or bars and they say, yeah, can I come over and try? And we say, yeah, come over, it's for free. And then we signed some people and uh, some of them made success. So 
at that time we had toured so much, so it was uh, nice to be home and actually spend some time with the with the kids. And, and but we we always had this, yeah. When we're gonna release the next Robin Rass thing, and uh, so it, it was a good uh, it was good at that time anyway. And still we had as always this DJ thing that we we said let's keep on DJing because that's when we learn the crowd and see how people react to songs and we can play their demos and see the reactions and stuff like that. So, I mean, it was not like sitting home every, every day and uh, we still did some gigs and some tours. I mean, what you we talked about one of the first artists you work with is uh, Papa D. And in a sense, you know, we've got from 1988 to 2022 <laughs> and you're, you're still working with him um, uh, on saturday uh we me and papa D are having a, a gig in orebro in sweden and we we uh, did a record released uh, uh, last year and we're working in the studio with the uh, new songs yeah so clearly there's a there's a fantastic relationship between uh papa D and you two so this is something that really works over the years but one of the key things I think in in obviously in your career is that the relationship between you and Rob. What is the strength of that relationship? And in essence, it's sort of like a marriage, isn't it? When it goes that long, that you yeah. you're able to deal with each other in good and bad, and uh, somehow still continue. What what do you think you both contribute, and why has that worked for so many years? The thing I actually. When we did this name, Rob and Raz, if we were I've called our band Fire, for instance, I mean, and be four people, if we don't like the third guy or even two people, I can say I own the name Fire and you're, you're off and in with another guy. But it was so connected. Rob is Rob, Raz is Raz. We have to keep together. And as persons, we are extremely different on every uh, we have nothing in common and uh, that's hard but it makes it good because uh, I understand why he does something uh, when he does it and he don't understand why I do things and he don't care so uh, and but it was always focused uh, and we of course we don't didn't always agree uh, but we were so connected and then you become like brothers uh, and even if we don't like the same things or even if we at times didn't like each other so much so we have to do this so so we we have done um, then he moved to Spain a few years ago and then we were about to do an we had an album ready actually with uh, some old songs on you but uh, uh, that, then we start talking about that, and I, I, have, I have started so many other projects on my behalf, and he has started so many others. So we said we didn't couldn't agree how to work together. So we said let's drop it. So now we don't have so much contact. Uh, we said let, let's just time go, and maybe we pick it up again. Well, Raz, it's been great to talk to you because I think, you know, you and Rob, I have to say, over the years have made an enormous contribution um, to music. And you really, you know, you are 
one of the 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 groups that have put um, Sweden on the map internationally. And for me, as I said, you know, in those early MTV days, we've got to get with the Swedish music scene coming to Stockholm so often, meeting you there, meeting all the other people there. It was a it was a really great thing. Uh, to be involved in. And I think you must be immensely proud uh, of your achievements over the years and to be a part and an inspiration for the Swedish music scene, which you have been. So thank you again. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you one day on the streets of Stockholm. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say that you're always welcome here and uh, let's do like we did before, you know, it's not <laughs> let's just kick it. It's the most wonderful time of the year, Christmas. And what better way to get into the holiday spirit than with a Minky Couture blanket? Whether you're gathered around the tree with loved ones, roasting marshmallows by the fire, or just looking for a cozy way to stay warm on a chilly night, Minky blankets are the perfect addition to your Christmas festivities. With a wide range of festive designs and colors, you can find the perfect blanket to match your holiday decor or gift to your loved ones. So this Christmas, make your holiday even cozier with a Minky Couture blanket. Head to MinkyCouture.com now and find your perfect blanket, just in time for the holiday. Happy holidays from Minky Couture. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.